Well, welcome everyone. My name is Pastor Jared. I'm part of the teaching team here at Alpine Church. It is great to be with you. We are starting a new series here today, and this is our new series, The Seven Deadly Sins. Now, you're not going to see that term in Scripture anywhere, and there's many more sins than just seven, but back in the Dark Ages, a monk came up with these seven sins, labeled them deadly, because it's important to understand these sins, it's important to know how these sins affect us, and as we get into it, here's the big idea of this series. The seven deadly sins are bad habits that destroy our ability to love God, love others, and love ourselves. And so as we get into the list of these sins, it's important to realize that these seven deadly sins cause division and death between us and God, our relationships with one another, and even to the point of ourselves. The greatest commandment Jesus said is to love God. And he said, love others and love yourself. And these deadly sins cause destruction and death to us. So it's important. We're kind of basing this series on a book. Graham, Graham Tomlin writes this. He said, the emergence of goodness in us is not a matter of strenuous moral exertion on our part, but of responding to the love of God, who looked for us long before we ever looked for him, and working together with the Holy Spirit, who tirelessly works to bring some likeness to Jesus Christ out of us. I like this. It's not dependent upon strenuous work from our efforts, but I love through the Holy Spirit, and I like this, who tirelessly works to bring some likeness to Jesus Christ out of us. So I want you to think through this quote. This is a great book. He wrote the book, The Seven Deadly Sins, one of many books. There's also been many movies about this, but it's important to know and understand these seven sins. So here they are. We're going to go through greed, sloth, lust, pride, envy, anger, and gluttony. And these sins are in no particular order. You might connect to some of these sins more than others, but it's important to understand that all seven of these sins have been kind of labeled in this category, deadly sins for a reason, because they bring death to relationships, they bring death to people. And here's the first one we're going to look at today. We're going to look at pride. And I think pride is one of those confusing ones on this list. I think most of us, we can look at lust or we can look at greed and we kind of have a, a really clear picture of the sinful sins that those are. But pride, I believe, is very confusing, especially to our culture. But before we talk about it anymore, I think it's important to understand what is the definition of pride that we are using. So here's how Webster Dictionary defines it. Pride is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. Doesn't sound so bad, does it? Consciousness of one's own dignity, being aware of your self-respect. Again, maybe not, not so deadly, but I always love when we look at definitions in the worldly definition, Webster's Dictionary, it's important to see what the Bible says. Here how's the... Here's how Bibles and the Bible Dictionary explains pride. It says, an excessively high opinion of oneself. Okay, now that changed. That changed from Webster's Dictionary definition. That one screams to me, okay, that's all about self. There's an excessive, anything in excess, God says, you know, you, you better be careful of. It's not good for you. And it's not just excess. It's excessively high opinions about yourself. 
Okay, that can lead to a lot of problems in relationships. That could lead to a lot of problems with our relationship with God, with one another, and even ourselves. And so here's what this definition from the Bible is saying, and here's point number one. Pride is a false pathway to self-worth, making it something we try to build on the basis of our own goodness. You see, I think our culture looks at the word pride and a lot of times we celebrate that word. And I think a lot of people are confused of what pride is. Pride is a sin in scripture and it's one of the seven deadly sins. And what pride is, it's a false pathway to self-worth. And it's something that we try to build on the basis of our own goodness. And we're gonna break this down we're going to allow scripture to explain this first point to us. We're going to continue to come back to this first point throughout the message. But in Luke 18, I'll have it up here on the screens, verses 9 and 10, it says it like this. It says, Then Jesus told this story to someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Now, verses 11 through 12, it says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. So when we look at this scripture, here is this Pharisee, and he is pounding his chest. God, I am not like these other people. I am not like these sinners, these cheaters, these adulterers. I am nothing like them. And here's why. Because of my goodness, look at what my goodness is doing, God. I fast twice a week, maybe working up to three days a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. That's why I'm not like these other people. This is a prideful man speaking. He has high opinions of himself. And let me tell you, he is in a dangerous place. Can you relate to this man? Have you ever thought that you were better than somebody else? It's okay, be honest. God knows already before you even answer the question. I can remember as I was preparing for this message, I was like, what's the closest thing I can come to this man? And there's been many that I've, I've believed that I have been better than other people and it just sneaks up on you. This is why pride is sneaky. You might not even notice that at first, but what you find yourself is in the same shoes. I found myself just years ago in the same shoes as this Pharisee. It was Black Friday years ago when we first came to Alpine Church. Money was tight. And so I'm in the Clinton Walmart. And I was like, you know, I, I got to save money. I got to provide. I have three kids. I'm trying to provide a Christmas for them. And so I needed to, you know, spend wisely. So I said, honey, we got to go to Black Friday. We're going to, on Thanksgiving night, we're going to hit the Walmart. And I was in line waiting. But throughout the, all the aisles, they have all these bins, and they're, they're covered at this time. I don't know if they still do this. It's been a while, because I don't go back. <laughs> but at a certain hour, these row of bins, they're going to rip off the plastic, and people just go nuts. And so I'm standing in line for my item. I'm not a part of the bins, but I'm watching it. And I see what happens. And people are diving in, grabbing and just throwing bundles of things in their carts. People are running into people. Adults are running over kids. 
the elderly, bless their heart, they're being run over because there is no order here. And it was loud. It sounded like an elementary school recess playground. There's screaming, there's running, there's laughing, there's, yeah, it's just incredible. And I stood there and I said, oh my, these people. Why? But here's the truth. I was saying that I was better than them. Just like, just like this Pharisee is saying that he's better than this tax collector. I remember being in those shoes looking, and pride came over me. And I said, that's not how I would do it. How are they doing this? I'm better than that. But again, once we start looking at the goodness within us, we got to be careful. That's why pride is so dangerous. I found myself looking at these people, believing I was better than them. But here's the truth. As I reflected back, looking upon that moment, thinking I was better than all these people, we are naturally connected by something, but it's not our goodness. So when I look back and I say, God, challenge my heart here, if God was going to look at my sin list, it would be a full, complete sin list on that night. And if we looked at every person in that Walmart, it would be a full, complete sin list of their life. And see, so naturally we are all connected, not by our goodness, but because of our baggage, because of our sin, because of our problem. We need healing. That's where we're all equally connected. It's not about goodness. When we start to think prideful moments about one another, we're starting to think that we're better or possibly they're better, but that's not true. Because we can fall into this dangerous place of being prideful, excessively looking at oneself, of their character, and elevating that and believing in that, that we're better than one another. But it's our brokenness that connects us. We're all broken. And this man, this Pharisee, in his prayer to God, he first says, I'm not like these broken people. And here's why because I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. And what is so dangerous is we can start boasting about our goodness. And that leads us to the second point. The opposite of pride is humility, being secure in our standing with God on the basis of Christ's goodness alone. Let's read that bottom underlined portion again. On the basis of Christ's goodness alone. He actually warns us in Scripture in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and, 9, 8 and 9. Here's what Jesus says. He said, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Boasting about our goodness is, is very dangerous. That's, that's basically pride, thinking higher opinions of who we are. But it's important to understand the truth about us, to acknowledge the truth about us. You see, last week in Ezekiel and the Bones, if we weren't here real quick, it's our part in coming to faith or the spiritual renewal. And we looked at the Bones, and their part was just to confess that they made mistakes 
said, God, we made mistakes. Our nation is gone. It's talking about the people of Israel. And what we discovered in our part is understanding the truth about us, that we are sinners, that we are broken. That's our part. But in this Pharisee, we didn't hear any brokenness in his speech. He's being prideful. And what God wants for us is to come to this place, this place where we actually acknowledge the truth about who we are. So we've seen the Pharisees' prayer in Luke 18. And now we're going to see the tax collector. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see this tax collector who's despised by many. He's pounding his chest, saying, God, I'm a sinner. I've cheated people. I've made mistakes. I recognize my wrongful doings here. But we see this Pharisee who's pounding his chest in boast that his goodness, his fasting twice a week, his giving to the kingdom of God. And we see that that pride is killing himself and his relationship with the Lord. But here's the tax collector who's admitting and, and understanding that he's not perfect, that he's broken. And God says, that's who will be exalted. You know, when you come, if you're, if you're here and you're seeking a relationship with the Lord and you're just trying to find out who God is, I want you to know you don't bring this list of accomplishments and say, here, God, here's why I can be in a relationship with you because of the good things I've done. No, that's not it at all. We come to God broken, sinners, separated from God. And we come with this heart of understanding and acknowledging the truth about us that we're broken and we need healing. And only Jesus can bring that healing. And it's by placing our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. He gave us mercy. Mercy is sparing us from something we deserve. See, we deserve punishment for our sins. But Jesus loves us so much that he took that upon himself. He took your punishment that you deserve to the cross. And he took our punishment and he paid that debt in full. And the Bible says when you believe that, when you believe in that message that you're a sinner and Jesus died for your sins, right then and there you confess that, I'm a sinner, Lord. It says that you are saved from the consequences of your sin. You have been forgiven for your sins because you acknowledge the truth about you, that you are a sinner and that you are broken and that Jesus is the one who brings that healing. And here we see this tax collector just beating his chest in sorrow. And God is saying, he is going to be the one that is justified. He is going to be the one who is exalted. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus right then and there, it says you are a new creation with a new identity. And that identity is in Jesus. When we talked about pride is the false pathway to self-worth, the way to self-worth, and listen to this, this is what our world needs because people are trying to do it on their own agenda through pride and it's not able to happen. When you put your identity into Jesus, your self-worth is because you have an identity in Jesus and Jesus alone. 
Think of that, that picture. Now, when you put your faith, you put Jesus on the throne of your life, you're like, Jesus, you become more in my life. I'm going to become less. You are on the throne. I'm seeking your love, your guidance, your will in my life, your direction. I'm going to yield to your commands, Jesus. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Jesus, you become more. I'm going to become less. And because of your identity in Christ, based on Christ's goodness alone, that's how we have self-worth. Not by our goodness, not by our achievements, but it's through the saving grace of Jesus that now we have self-worth. You cannot experience self-worth outside of relationship with Jesus. When I look at my identity before I came to faith, my identity was in Jared Van Ingen, who was on his own path, separated from God, and it's a path of darkness. But when you come to faith, now you have this new identity in Jesus, and that's where we find self-worth. And it breaks my heart that people are trying to achieve self-worth through goodness. That's the definition of Webster. There's a deep, satisfying gratitude and understanding through your own achievements. That's not what the Bible says. That's going to lead you down the wrong path. The Bible says that's the false path to self-worth. And we have to humble ourselves and recognize that we're not perfect in this point too and allow Jesus to do his work in and through us. And here's our third point, dealing with pride. The antidote to pride is not self-hatred, but self-sacrifice. Looking outward to find someone to serve. Look at what it says in John, John 1, or John 13, verses 3 through 5. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. The antidote to pride is not self-hatred, but it is self-sacrifice looking outward to serve somebody. So let me ask you this. What would this service right now look like without any volunteers? No one in kids' church, no greeters at the door when people walked in, no one running sound, no worship team up here, just me and the lights are on and I come and I try to lead worship, I can't do kids' church. First, I want to thank everybody who serves. And maybe you're sitting here going, oh, here's the catch. Pastor Jared is going to try to get us to serve at the Leighton campus. <laughs> no, I'm not God is. <laughs> I'm just the deliverer of the message. But I do want to also acknowledge all those who do serve, and I thank you for your service. But if you're here and you're not serving, you know, to humble yourselves like Jesus. This, this is an, an incredible passage, and I don't want to miss this. That when he tried to wash the feet of his disciples, there was a few like, no, Jesus, I can't have you wash my feet. You're, you're Jesus. And see, those who washed feet back in this day were the lowliest of servants, slaves. Like, that's the lowliest position. When you would come to somebody's house, before you would enter, their slave would come and wash their feet. you got to remember, they're walking around dirt, walking through orchards of animals that had animal dung on the road. 
So you get where I'm going with this. It was a, it was a dirty job. And that's what Jesus chose to do to send this message of serving to his disciples. He took the lowliest serving position. He had all authority. He was in co complete control of his creation, the entire world and the universe and everything that's a part of it. And he bent down and washed their feet. What Jesus is communicating here, that there's really not any more important role in serving at the church and so can I give just a kudos to our clean team who comes in and cleans toilets every week. But that is just as important as the people up here leading worship. That is just as important as the person giving the message. That is just as important because Jesus said so. Serving somebody might mean some dirty work. It might mean leading kids' church and teaching our kids. It might mean leading worship. I don't know where your gift ministry is but know that we have a place for you. But it's not just limited to church. You know, I think as we come upon this season of the holidays, man, what a great time. What a great opportunity to serve people. So I want to ask you this question. How are you ser serving within your families? Husbands, how are you serving your wives? Wives, how are you serving your husbands? Kids, how are you serving your parents? Students, how are you serving your co-students in school? How are you in the workforce serving your co-workers? In our neighborhoods, how are we serving our neighbors? I think this is a great opportunity for us to drop on our knees and pray to the Lord, Lord, how do you want us to serve in all these capacities? To have a heart like Jesus, God, give us your heart to serve. Whatever it is, whatever it is, I have ideas, but this is something I want you to take to God and say, God, I want to I beat pride. I want to I really understand the truth about myself. And I come pounding my heart, just like the tax collector, with sorrow in my heart, Lord. May you be on the throne of my life. May I be less. May I submit to your leading and ruling in my life, Lord. And can I model what you modeled, Lord, a servant's heart, regardless of what it is. Maybe it's removing the snow from your neighbor's yard. Maybe it's bringing something to coworkers that they appreciate. Whatever that is, how can we serve our community, God's church? Those are some great things to be praying for. And as we kind of wrap up today's message in pride, I just want you to just kind of understand that pride and this dependency upon our own efforts is really not what God wants. He does not want us to boast about who we are in the good things that we're doing that's being prideful. He wants to, us to come to him understanding we are broken like the tax collector and saying, God, you lead me. You be the king and the ruler of my life, Lord. I want to submit to you. And the antidote to pride is serving, humbling yourself, and serving those around you. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your word and your truth. And we're thankful for your gift of salvation. We depend upon your grace and mercy daily, Lord. Let us not forget that. 
And I pray for that individual who's here today, Lord, that has yet to put their faith and trust in you, Lord. I pray that they would recognize that they are a sinner and that they would lay that sin at the, at the foot of the cross, Lord, and accept you as their Lord and Savior and put their trust in you and you alone for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray that that would happen. And I pray for so many of us here, Lord, that have already made that confession of faith, that we would have a heart to serve our community, to serve the people that you put before us, Lord. So God, as we come through and into this, this season of holidays, Lord, I pray that we would do that well as your church, that we would have a heart of service. And Lord, I continue to pray that we would have the ability here at the Layton campus and really through all of Alpine Church that we'd have more and more people connected to serving opportunities like mentoring and small groups and Sunday services, Lord, everything, midweek, weekends, that help point people to you. And I just pray that there wouldn't be any challenges to that, there wouldn't be any holes to that, that we'd be able to fulfill all the serving opportunities from the church, the people within the church, and that's us, Lord. So help us to connect Help us to lock arm in arm with those and help people pursue God. Help us to partner with families, Lord, and help them and their children pursue God. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word and your truth and how we can turn to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.